to make extremely difficult and soul-searching decisions. We talking about practice. In the immortal words of Billy Ray Valentine, Merry New Year, and welcome back to Not Another Philly Sports Talk Show. This is Mike Sealski from the Philadelphia Inquirer, joined once again by the intrepid David Murphy from the Daily News and the handsome Jonathan Tannenwald. Hang on, D- Dave is buried in a pile of paperwork. I want to make sure he's over there. Well, I'm trying to figure out who who the heck Billy Ray Valentine is. Oh, come on, trading places. What? Man. That is one of the five this greatest... Is like, Ameri- I just let it go. I that is one of the five greatest thing. American comedies ever made. This is like Grantland for Mike Sielski's age. This is like, this You're is killing like, me. Which is what relative You're to You're actually Grantland. killing me. You know. I could have started out with, you know, quoting a Paul Krugman column. Would that have made you happier? Uh, <laughs> Would have made me happier. I don't know about him. But. Nothing can make me happier. No, you know what would make me happier? If the Eagles would actually... Run a meritocracy and hire somebody who can. Are you suggesting run a run a personnel department? Are you suggesting Howie Roseman is not the best man to be at good the top heavens? Of their, no, he wouldn't dare do that <laughs> at the uh, top of their personnel department. Uh look, I don't know Howie Roseman personally. I can only I, I'm a man of science, <laughs> and I can only <laughs> I can only operate on the evidence. That explains why you've never seen Eddie Murphy's greatest. Every movie. everything that appears in the papers ev- is automatically true. And the evidence suggests that other than Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham, Howie Roseman has has dropped a big, giant hydrogen bomb of yuck on this uh, Eagles franchise via his drafting. I mean, everyone forgets. This is my favorite part of the narrative that's developed in the wake of Chip Kelly, that, that, that Chip Kelly plunged this organization into dysfunction, that... Uh, you know, the Eagles need to get back to being that proud franchise they'd always been before the renegade from Oregon came in with his sports science and, and, and embarrassed the entire operation. In 2012, let me, let me take you back to uh, the poet laureate of the Philadelphia Eagles circa 2012. A, a man named Vincent Q. Young said <laughs> something to the effect of this is a dream team. And do you know who put together that dream team? A man named Howard Q. Roseman. And that season, need I remind you, ended with Namdi Asimov sitting in his car eating lunch, allegedly. It ended with Jason Babin making fun of Ruben Frank's shorts and calling the Eagles a socialist organization. It led to the firing of uh, not only the head coach, but the defensive coordinator, who happened to be an offensive line coach, who happened to replace a defensive coordinator who is now running a one-loss Carolina Panther team. Actually, that is incorrect. It ended with the fire with the dismissal of the defensive coordinator who went on to become the defensive coordinator of the Arizona Cardinals right. and is now the head coach of the New York Jets and just led them to a 10-6 and six season. Right, which happened in, in the wake of the firing of the defensive right. coordinator who was an actually a long, uh, offensive line coach. And now all of them, well, except for the support Jets fans, all of them have, have are in the playoffs. Well, all of them have 10 win seasons. Yes. Two of them are in the playoffs. And the Eagles now are right back where they started with Howie Roseman, the guy who is the only constant in it all, running the show, charged with picking the next head coach. And I'm just not sure that Jack Welsh would have <laughs> let off his uh, one of his business manifestos with that as a case study, as, as organizational dynamics as they should be. Yeah, it, you know, going back to... A week ago. That's my second Jack Welsh reference in the last 48 hours, by Uh, the way. (laughs) Going back a week to Wednesday when when Jeffrey Lurie uh, tried to demystify us as to why Chip Kelly had been fired and and what the framework of the front office was going to look like moving forward, I get the sense and, you know, Look, I, I worked at the Wall Street Journal. I've read, you know, organizational, you know. You would know about Jack Welsh. Management, <laughs> management books and leadership tomes and things like that. And, you know, Lurie came off to me as the guy who had just read about four or five of them. And yeah, exactly. And had, had discovered this new kind of vocabulary. And he was going to unleash these words like emotional intelligence upon everyone. And that was going to solve everything. And I know that. NFL organizations, to a certain extent, look at themselves that way. They are huge corporations. They are huge companies. You know, corporate culture in a Fortune 500 company is a is an important thing. I get all that, but this is not that difficult. Like this is the sense I get from the Eagles 
Um, and I agree with everything you said about about Roseman. We have every reason to be skeptical and cynical about him taking everything over. But go back even before that. Like what, one of the off-putting things I found about Laurie and the tone he set, and this ties into what you just said, is this idea of the Eagles as a stable organization. Mm-hmm. Okay, as you said, we need to get back to the proud tradition that we had. Blah blah blah. You know why you were stable? Yeah. And have been stable since you bought the team in 1994. You got a franchise quarterback in 1999. I read a column about that this week. Yeah, you. So you, did you? Yeah, you I were, read a column. Yeah, it was it was by Mike Seals. He read the column yeah. too, probably. And you, so did we all. You were stable yeah. for 10 years because you had a guy who you could build everything around. You weren't stable before that when Ray Rhodes was your head coach and Ty Detmer was your starting quarterback or Rodney Pete or Bobby Hoying. And you haven't been stable since when Michael Vick and Kevin Cobb and Nick Foles and Mark Sanchez are rolling through here. You had a really great 10-year run. And you had it because you drafted Donovan McNabb. Uh, and you had to be really bad before that just to, to have the opportunity to get him. And e- I think, Even better, yeah. since I think we might be getting into this later too, you drafted your franchise quarterback over the objections of your fan base. Right, which is the other tie into what Laurie said. Laurie framed this whole thing as if, we need, to, we, we need to get Chip Kelly out of here because we need to bring in somebody who identifies with the fans, it connects with the players, and all these sorts of things. And, and we're falling back into this, I feel like, this Philadelphia thing that you see a lot of franchises in town do among the major four, which is, let's bring back, oh, let's get back to the way things used to be. We'll hire Mo Cheeks as a head coach. He can reach Allen Iverson. We'll hire this ex-flyer as a head coach, and the fan base will be placated. This necessity to reach the core id of the Philadelphia sports yeah. fan, which applies also to the team I cover, by the way, and has for their entire existence. Right. It's like, um, it's like, it, the, it's it, like it's, the Trumpification right. of and, Philadelphia and, sports. And, uh, Dan McQuaid of Philadelphia Magazine, who's been a friend of mine for a long time, I'm sure you guys know him too, his dad Drew yep. is one of the copy editors of the Daily News, wrote a brilliant column a couple of days ago in which he said, the Eagles are looking for the ultimate Philadelphia guy to coach their team. They just had him in Chip Kelly exactly. and they fired him. Yeah, they, they, they want a guy who doesn't give a flip about what anybody thinks and just does it his way and wins. And they had that guy, and after one year of it not going so well, they let him go. Uh, see, I, you know, I don't know that they're looking for a Philadelphia guy. I just think there's been a lot of talk of that. Um, oh, I'm not sure they are. But, but the Jeffrey Lurie says they are, therefore. He says they no, are. He, said, he says they're looking for a... It, it sounds like he's, they're looking for a... A guru, you know. It, I mean, it, it, look. Let's break it down. What Jeffrey Lurie is looking for is a guy who will make him feel involved, and I think that was the number one yes. thing that Chip Kelly did not do. Um, Andy Reid. Andy Reid ran an organization, but he, he always made time for his owner to 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 make him feel like he was part of the process. And I get the sense that Chip Kelly, uh, and, and and in Chip Kelly's defense, and I, I said this at the time they hired him, you bring in a guy like this to run your organization. He is he's coming from a fiefdom at a Division 1 college where the only person that mattered was the guy that made the sneakers. Um, everybody else bowed to Chip Kelly. They did what Chip Kelly said. Chip Kelly appeared by Skype at booster meetings. Yep. He did not he did not he, he everything that he wanted, he got. And, and frankly, it was the only way it would have made sense for him to come to the NFL and I think there was kind of an implicit agreement that that's what what was going to happen. I mean, and uh, that's why I was surprised at the time that Howie Roseman actually, I mean, the, the the narrative at the time was that Howie Roseman took an active role in recruiting Chip, and, and it was hard to believe just because Chip Kelly seemed like the kind of guy who would threaten the existence of a guy like Howie Roseman because he just and did, yeah. So what <laughs> clearly did within a year, but yeah, two years. But I think what Chip Kelly forgot about is that in the NFL, there's always one guy above you, and it's the guy who, who's got the capital. You know, I mean, the guy who signs your paychecks. Like he's uh, look, these guys, these guys buy these teams as vanity projects. And they want to be involved. And you see that in every owner that's out there, pretty much. I mean, you define... I mean, the Giants are really the only team where, where you, you know, you don't... Of the successful organizations, um, you know, you don't necessarily see them... I mean, I know they have a day-to-day role, but you don't identify the ownership with... I mean, you identify it's Robert part Kraft. of why they've been so successful. But you ide- see, I, I think you do identify do you, the I, merit see, you, know, the you know the merit, but they're not talking all the time, is I think his point. No, but they've set up, they're, they're similar to the Roonies in that. Yes. They've set up right. a way that they do things, yes. and everybody knows it. And, and but, the, but the new guys who buy these teams, even Kraft, like I think it's a vanity project for Kraft. A oh, bit, sure. You know? yeah. um, I mean, all you have to do is look at his, you know, uh, audition outtakes. Um, <laughs> the... Uh, but yeah, this is a vanity project. Jeffrey Lurie's never built anything in his life. You know, he inherited his money. He he 
you know, this is his way to play businessman without actually having to invest and risk any capital. Because no, I think the he's NFL risked some of, things in his movies. I think that's at least fair to say. But other, I mean, in a lot of ways, you're right. But I think I, it's at least. Worth I'm not. I mean, that. look, I'm not going to sit here and debate Jeffrey Lurie's investment strategy. The fact of the matter is, it's a lot cheaper to buy an NFL team than it is to build a successful. Uh, revenue producing company yes. from the ground up and yes. he's never done that and he doesn't know how to run one and uh, and and it, he feels like he's running this organization based on a New York Times trend story that he just ran read that's true <laughs> and and that gets back to what we were just kind of discussing in terms of the language that he uses and the kind of guy that he's looking for you know the, the name you hear bandied about now is Adam Gase the offensive coordinator of the Chicago Bears for one year, having been the offensive coordinator with the Denver Broncos before that. High praise from Peyton Manning, gets all this credit for turning Jay Cutler into something that's not a you know petulant turnover machine. But my point is that this is the kind of guy, to get back to the word guru, this is the kind of guy that Jeffrey Lurie seems to look for, which is you know, the quarterback whisperer, the young and up and comer. You know, I don't think he looked at Andy Reid when he hired Andy Reid in 1999. That's right. I don't think he looked at him so much as the plotter, you know, take it a day I at a time, that, yeah, grind through it. Right. He saw like a guy who had worked with Brett Favre and worked under Mike Holmgren and was an innovative guy. And this is part of why your colleague Bob Brookover made the case in the, what's today? It's the Wednesday Inquirer. All right, that the on. Eagles ought to hire a defensive hang guy. Hang on. Let me tell a timeout here because we got to get back. We, we got to get back to something you said because this is the thing that just drives me nuts about the whole Adam Gase situation. Now, I will give you forewarning, which is a far more honest forewarning than you're going to get from most people who actually cover NFL coaching searches. And I don't know a, a darn thing darn about, thing about right there with you. about Adam Gase. I don't know a darn thing about uh, you know what it's like to, to I don't, what, what Sean McDermott would be like in charge of managing people instead of just calling plays. Nobody does. And it's why... Like, it, it's it's why I said before they hired before they fired Chip Kelly that you better you better darn well have an idea of what what you're looking for, um, and more importantly somebody who possesses it because the fact of the matter is, Mike Zimmer worked out, Gus Bradley has not yet. Right. Mike McCoy did not work out, uh, has not worked out yet. Um, I mean, go go up and down the list. Like Dennis Al. I mean, the the Browns change coaches every two years. The Lions change coaches every two years. It's 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 that's the danger. When I say the the the, the Eagles are in perilous territory, that's what I mean. They're 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 in the danger zone right now, um, of getting into that of getting into that cycle. You know, I mean, continuity continuity is the if you look at any of the the successful organizations, there is continuity at one of two levels. Either the head coach. Or the personnel department. The you know Ted Thompson, the Packers. It's a top-down organization. Mike McCarthy's always fit in with it. Um, but there's continuity. There they they can draft, develop, execute four and five-year plans with regards to their personnel acquisitions, and the result is they have a very stable, um, homegrown talent base. The, the the Patriots, Bill Belichick. You know, I mean, the Patriots are. Whatever, they speak for themselves. But yeah. uh, the, but the Steelers, I mean, same type of thing. Uh, they Mike can, Tomlin's they the can, guy. They can, yeah, has to stick in the craw of Eagles fans. And if you want to coach that good, then you have to do what their ownership has done, which is get out of the way. No, 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 no and all Mike Tomlin has to do is manage people. Um, he didn't even have to call defense for his first, you know, whatever decade on the eight, eight years on the job because uh, what's his face? Did LeBeau. It? LeBeau, LeBeau did it. He had, the, he had the, one of the best defense coordinators in history. The, all he had to do was worry about getting the most, put it, putting his coaches and players in a position to maximize their abilities. Look, the, the Steelers, why the Steelers uh, cycle their their lineage, their uh, succession line, line of succession at wide receiver speaks to the value of continuity. They went from Santonio Holmes to Mike Wallace to Emmanuel Sanders to Antonio Brown, never overpaying any of them until they finally landed on Brown, the best of them, who they drafted in the sixth round. But they, the, the fact of the matter is they don't necessarily... They don't necessarily know a diamond when they see one. They draft a lot of wide receivers. Right. And they're per if you look at their personnel strategy, it makes sense. They, they, they know how to – and you can only get that when you have guys who've been there who can, who can draft in 2010 with an eye for X instead of Chip Kelly, instead of Howie Roseman. Even Howie Roseman this year, putting a guy in charge of draft 
who feels like he has one year to prove himself, perhaps. That, well, that, that, I think that's more what I was trying to say is in terms of the ownership getting out of the way is what I meant is this. Has Jeffrey Lurie become a little too reactionary? Yeah. I mean, Jeffrey, look, Jeffrey Lurie, I would argue, is far more, there's this narrative of Jeffrey Lurie being patient, okay? A patient owner who takes a long time to make head coaching changes and decisions. I would argue that it's not the case. I would argue that Jeffrey Lurie could afford to be patient for a specific period of time while Donovan McNabb was here. Because once you have a quarterback like a McNabb or an Aaron Rodgers or even an Eli Manning, a, a, you know, however the Ravens, you know, whatever we might think of Joe Flacco, the Ravens regard him as their guy. You can then make the sort of move, personnel moves and decisions and draft picks knowing that that guy is probably going to keep you in the hunt year after year. Take McNabb out of that equation and you have three more years of Andy Reid before he's gone. You have three years of Chip Kelly before he's gone. Less than three years of Chip Kelly before he's gone. Ray Rhodes lasted only four years with a succession of mediocre quarterbacks. Um, you know, So this idea of continuity that Murph is talking about, what is the Eagles' ethos? What is their philosophy? What is their thing? The Steelers have that. The Patriots now have that. The Giants have that. There's a reason the Giants went after Tom Coughlin 10 years ago. Um, and, and don't generally go after the hot guy, you know, the Adam Gase or, you know, the Mike McCoy or somebody like that. They're looking for a certain kind of And the Steelers got that in Tomlin. And the Steelers got that in Tomlin, but that's a top-down mentality. Well, the, point is, the point is coaching is very dependent upon situation, and you see right. that a lot with regards to, I mean, just look around the league. I mean, you know, Gary Kubiak looks, looks like a genius, right? Or is it just because he happens to be in a personnel, you know, a, right. a very strong personnel department? Um, Let me ask this one, Jay Gruden, because there are a lot of people in Washington right now who think, and it may well be a complete karmic coincidence, but we haven't heard a peep out of Dan Snyder this year, and all of a sudden they won the division. Well, I don't think the two are connected in that regard. I think Jay Gruden— He also hired a GM for once. I think, life. number one, they have a real GM who made some, as Murph wrote before the season began, made some very good picks and some very good moves um, to increase the talent on that team, number one. Number two, um, you're not trying to square peg, round hole the quarterback situation anymore. You know, regardless of what you think of Robert Griffin III off the field, th there, was, there was chaos there with respect to who he was on the field and what they wanted him to be and what, he was, what his strengths were in doing certain things. And they've got a more... They've got a guy in Kirk Cousins who does certain things well, and Gruden, to his credit, has maximized that. They also have some excellent offensive players around him. They have a pretty good line. They have an excellent tight end. They've got you know, a deep threat down the field and a, and a, uh, a solid professional number two, if you want to call him that, and Pierre Garçon. Um, there's pieces there. There just are. Um, so and, and three of their wins came against the dysfunctional Chiefs. Yeah, too quick. there you go. Oh, yeah, no, I'm not saying they're good. I'm just saying that they have— All right, well, let's get back to Gase because I, I still have not addressed— what I wanted to address, which is kind of a theme in my life, but um, this whole Adam notion, this, that's the title of your life? book. I still have this, not addressed what I want to address. This whole notion, like this, is what bothers me about life in general, because people just don't remember what they talk about. Like, like when I make, I make mistakes. Believe it or not, I know it's hard to believe, but I remember them, and they bother me, and they keep me up at night, and I'll always remember the things I got wrong. Or I feel like people just say things and, and like it disappears in the ether and like they're just like words, 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 words. They have no impact. So when they say um, that As Barry Gibbs said, when it's they only words, when they start, when they start, when they start saying the exact same things that they were saying two years ago against uh, against a guy that they nicknamed the quarterback whisperer about this Adam Gase, it makes me a little leery about the guy. Because let's go back, this whole notion that Jake Cutler has only ever blossomed under Adam Gase, it's just, it's absurd because, because and again, it, the absurdity of it is that that was the same thing you were saying about Jake Cutler under Mark Trestman two years ago. This is, this is the quarterbacks, the quarterback stats for the Chicago Bears. Uh, Adam Gase's first year, Adam Gase's first year as offensive coordinator that was this year and and Mark Trestman's first year as as you know head coach quarterback whisperer whatever. Adam Gase 63.9% completion percentage. Mark Trestman 64.4% completion percentage. Which one's higher? Trestman advantage Thank Trestman. You. 
Adam Gase, passing yards, first year, 3,663. Mark Trustman, passing yards, first year, 4,281. That's in same number of games, average 267.6 for Trustman, 228.9. Mike, 267.6, 228.9. Which one's higher? Advantage, Trustman. That is a uh, that is a fact. Um, Trustman advantage sacks thirty to thirty three. Um, I mean, we can we can, can keep go going. on and, on. and never mean, and you haven't even brought up interceptions. All right, so so we'll give you that. Thir- so 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 Trustman had thirteen interceptions, and Gase had twelve interceptions. Except uh Trestman's quarterbacks attempted 56 more passes so the interception percentage was actually in Trestman. so there's literally not a single category that Adam Gase got more production out of Jay Cutler than Trestman got out of Cutler and, and Josh J- McCown Josh McCown that's that's the key thing is that you know he didn't have Cutler the whole year he had his backup and he and the backup turned out to have a better year than than Cutler had this year with Gase yeah and, and and you can make our now you can make our in fairness you look at the Bears' weapons that year you have Brandon Marshall you know Alshon Jeffrey there those guys are healthy all year Matt Forte you know sounds I mean I'm just skeptical of anything involving Jay Cutler I'm sorry and I'm just the guy on the couch I realize I'm but s- look I'm skeptical of everything I'm skeptical. I'm skeptical of of I'm skeptical of the hot guy. That's oh, what yeah. I'm, that's no, what I'm I am, skeptical Right. No, I am too. You know, that, that it's, it's very easy. Have, have hot guys let you down in the past? They have. Um, uh, it's very easy for groupthink to set in amongst groups. <laughs> I know that sounds not particularly amongst profound, but it's true. Amongst the people who pay our salaries right. in particular? Hang on. But, I'm, write, I'm writing that down. Yeah. That was just... But it's true, and it happens every single year. You get a guy like this. Mike McCoy, a few years ago, was the hot guy. He is the perfect example, and, it, and it, it's the same thing. He was Peyton Manning's... You know, he was the first Peyton Manning. He was the first guy that led Peyton Manning to his potential. Yeah, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, Sean McDermott is is a hot guy now. Now, look, Sean McDermott. I've I've talked with him. I've interacted with him. He seems like a really sharp, smart guy. You know, got to learn under Jim Johnson. That's great. But Sean McDermott is in a position in Carolina with a stable franchise, with a well-respected owner, with a fan base that's pretty forgiving. That isn't calling for his ouster yeah, after I'd two years, so. uh, and that has whatever we think of him, you know, statistically or the sweaters he wears has Cam Newton a quarterback yep. who's pretty darn That's good. Right. Compare Sean McDermott to any other defensive coordinator around the league who's coaching for uh, you know a subpar team. You know, is Sean McDermott better than Bill Davis? Yeah, probably. But are there other are there other coordinators with lesser teams? Who could do what Sean McDermott is doing with the Panthers this year? Well, that's the, that's it comes back around to something that we've debated many times on the show, which is is it is it coaching or is it talent? All right, that's a great question, and I'm going to tie. I the, asked a great question. I'm going to I'm going to tie the I'm going to tie the two a question. I'm Can gonna, I say one other thing very quickly? You are to be saluted for keeping the paper industry in business. Uh, thank you. Yeah, I'm also I'm a also stack uh, here of every statistic. I thought you, are, I thought you were going to salute me on my my uh, red hooded sweatshirt. Yeah, my my. Flaunting of the company dress code, <laughs> like it's. There's I'll, a, we I'll told, tell you we this. did toss that final. I'll tell you this: it, it is very hard in a uh, building full of journalists to be the worst dressed person. But you and know, I am. For those of you who can't see it, John tweeted out a photo. My, of hand, my Twitter handle is Jay Tannen. Murph is wearing a Nike, a red hooded Nike sweatshirt, that the kind that Adam Sandler would have sung about on Saturday Night Live. And there's a gob of what appears to be chocolate or car grease. Yeah, car right grease. on the left lapel. Tar- <laughs> it's it's car, it's car it's toothpaste no it's car. <laughs> um all right so adam Gase. here's my thing with him uh and it, and it's something that i'm not sure that the the eagles are grasping um and they've already had this conversation at the moment we're recording on a uh wednesday yep a a, a, a balmy wednesday morning um at 801 marketplace and the word word has just come down um although Word is not always accurate that that the Eagles are looking to bring back um, what's his name Adam Gase for a second interview. Yes, has that changed yes. in the five minutes that not I have that not I looked at Twitter? No. Uh, the um, NFL Network has reported that. Yes. The um, yeah. So that so so I mean, second interviews are, are essentially usually uh, contract negotiations. So uh, so keep that in mind. But um, 
here's the thing. Adam Gase, he needs to build a defense that, you know, whether it's talent or whether it's scheme, we know it was something with the last, and the talent is not coming. You know, the talent's not going anywhere. Uh, you know, they've signed Michael Kendricks for whatever reason to a contract extension. They signed Brandon Graham to a contract extension. Connor Barwin's not going anywhere. Uh, you know, and then you have some some combination of Jordan Hicks, Kiko Alonso. Uh, I mean, the secondary is pretty much where it is. They need out of safety. It's only getting worse to to you know right. to put it bluntly. Um, so they're going to need they're need a, they're going to need a guy um, who can do that. Adam Gase is not the guy, obviously, who who can do that. So he needs to hire a guy who can do that. And uh, you know, the question is, how, who does he know that that can do that? I don't know. Let me run down the defensive coordinators that he's worked with. Um, in his career, Adam Gase, and again, this is this is this is a very concerning. Like Eagles fans, you you really should be concerned about this because because this is where you know franchises take a step from temporary instability into the vortex of suck. Um, <laughs> that Cleveland, Detroit, Oakland, Jacksonville, Jacksonville Miami. I want that to be a headline of one of your forthcoming columns, The Vortex of Suck. Well, I'll have plenty of opportunities if, if the trade wins are, are accurate. Um, but this is, this is like, re, listen to these teams. San Francisco before Harbaugh got there. Um, you know, Detroit, you know, he was with, he was with the Lions, that, that amazing Matt Mill Lions uh, powerhouse from 2003 to 2007, where the defensive coordinators he worked with were Kurt Schoenheimer, Dick Jerome, Donnie Henderson, and Joe Barry. Um, who worked with his brother-in-law, uh, the guy from uh, Joe Vitt. Rod Marinelli. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, 2008, he was an offensive assistant for San Francisco with a gentleman named Greg Manuski. You probably have not heard of him for good reason. 2009, Denver. Two, so from 2009 to 2014, he was with the Broncos, the first year under Josh McDaniels. The, the good news is he has worked with a lot of brilliant offensive minds in terms of McDaniels, Mike Martz, uh, Peyton Manning. Uh, but anyway, he, he worked under Martin, Mike Nolan for a year uh, in Denver, and then the next year, a guy named Don Martindale, the next year, Dennis Allen, three years with Jack Del Rio, and then Vic Fangio. That is the definition uh, of mediocrity. Uh, th th these are the guys on the carousel that, that, that cycle through these yep. teams that change coaches every two to three years. Listen, this, is, this is Adam, the defenses that Adam Gase has been associated with, the teams that he's, he's been a coach on, you know his his court his colleagues on the defensive side. Um, here's their rank in points by year: twenty fifth, eighteenth, twenty first, thirtieth, thirty second, twenty third, twelfth, thirty second, twenty fourth, fourth, twenty second, sixteenth, twentieth. Once, twice, twice they finished in the top half of the league in points. Uh, once, twice, three times, four times, five, five times in. 13 years they finished in the top half of the league in yards. Where is this guy going to get his help from? And 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 who is he going to hire? Because you can't, I mean, he's he's got to hire someone who either doesn't have a job now for a reason, uh, or he's got to identify, you know, an up-and-coming assistant. It's a good question. Um, and it's one of the underrated parts about what made Andy Reid pretty successful here. was, And I think you pointed this out in the column the other day. Look at the staff that Andy put together when he got here. He knew Jim Johnson. He brought Jim Johnson in to be a defensive coordinator. He he brings in John Harbaugh to run special teams. You know, um, Ron Rivera. Ron Rivera is the linebackers coach. Leslie Frazier. Leslie Frazier is on his staff. Um, Rod Dauhauer is a well-regarded offensive coordinator. He brings him in. You know, Brad Childress goes on to become a head coach. Marty Morningweg, you know, had been on his staff, goes on to become a head coach. You know, the staff that Andy had when he got here was really, really good. Um, and it allowed him to do the things that you you mentioned before, you know, be a tone setter, not just call the plays, but okay, I can I can work with Donovan a little more closely here because that's where my specialty happens to be. Um, I can get George Hegeman on a sled and show the team, look, we're not messing around anymore, you know, that sort of thing. And um, that's a really good. I mean, that that gives me pause um, because Gase is not one of the things that gives me pause is that Gase is not immersed in any sort of system, culture, franchise that would allow you to go, oh, okay, well, that that worked, and it's it's what he knows. It's, it's a tried-and-true sort of thing. Like, that was Mike Holmgren for a long time. That was why you felt pretty good about Andy Reid. It's like, okay, well, he's in this, this culture for a long time. He knows it intimately. 
he can execute it and bring it to him, bring it to the Eagles. What does Adam Gase have? I mean, everybody regards him as brilliant, I guess, but brilliant for to, to what? Brilliant in what? Designing plays, hiring assistants, creating a a system and a place to work and grow. I, I don't know. Well, and that's the whole thing, um, because he 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 might be the most brilliant play caller of all time on offense, but this team is not going anywhere. If they can, you know, and again, people, the other thing about, I don't think it's just Philadelphia. I think it's, it's, it's humans in general. Everything's so black and white. Like, okay, Chip Kelly didn't work out. And I think you can make a very strong argument that he should have been, that he could have been fired after this year. That being said, you can't, even Lane Johnson, you know, even his harshest critics in the Eagles locker room acknowledge that he's a very good uh, offensive mind. I mean, you can't just poo-poo the fact that they had the top two scoring offenses in franchise history under him no matter i mean regardless of how they got there they still got those points um and even this year again i think time will tell time will show um and i adamantly believe that they well outperform the personnel level on their offense this year i think that if you went i've been saying this since like the fourth week of the season if you go position by position on that eagles roster they are the titans they are they're, they're worse than the titans they're the they're the browns they're the raiders they're the, you know like they're just they weren't good and chip kelly for all his faults knew how you know it's not a coincidence that nick Foles, mark sanchez and uh sam bradford all had their best seasons as pros uh under chip kelly well into their careers and 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 so here's the thing i think the best you can hope for is that they don't <coughs> take a step back from that you know, I'm not sure how, you know, like, I'm not yeah. sure how much you can improve on the number one and number two scoring offenses in, in, in franchise history. Um, you know, I, how you, what you need to do is improve the defense, improve the, you know, improve the possession game. Um, you know, the, the, the Bruce, you know, the good thing Bruce, the thing Bruce Arians does, he understands the football's a possession game and, um, you know, time of possession doesn't matter. But the fact of the matter is if the other team doesn't have the ball, they can't score. Um, it's not about your defense getting tired. It's just about the simple truth that if your offense has the ball for eight minutes, that's eight less minutes the other team has to score a point Can when they I get the ball. Um, ask a question of you. So but, hang on, let me, let me finish my thought. There actually is a thought buried in there somewhere. Oh, okay. Um, but now I forget it. So anyway, go ahead. Ask a question. Um, first of all, apologies to the listeners. We don't have enough money to buy a cough button yet. we got to work on it. Sorry about that. Oh, it's my fault. I was too. So. Um, since you were planning at some point to go position by position through the Eagles roster, uh, and I heard you bring that up. I wonder about Sam Bradford and about whether having a quarterback who has demonstrated that he can play reasonably well in the National Football League is an attraction to anybody who might want to take this coaching job. It depends on a number of factors. Funny, Murph and I both wrote about this off of Sunday's game. Um, it is a really, to me, a really difficult question to answer because I think Bradford, this is me, I think Bradford proved this season with the way he played in the second half that he is a viable starting quarterback. He is somebody who you can give a multi-year deal to and feel pretty good about it. The question becomes, A. Health. No. No. Does he want to does he really want to well, be yes. here? Does he really want to be here? You know, his teammates went a long way after that game to saying how much they like Sam, how much they want him to come back. And I couldn't make up my mind whether they were trying to convince the Eagles or whether they were trying to convince Sam. Him, yeah. That's one thing. Secondly, if he does want to come back, Okay, you're Roseman and Lurie. How do you handle this with the new head coach? Do you make Bradford's return a condition of who you hire? Look, if you want this job, you have to understand we want to keep Sam Bradford. And, and I would argue that's no way to hire a coach. Okay, but then if you go the other way, see, this is why it was problematic for them to fire Chip. If you go the other way and say to the head coach, you can pick your own quarterback, you're starting all over again with somebody who, in all likelihood, is not going to be as good as Bradford was in the second half of this past season. Yeah, I think the Brad. I, here's my thing on Sam Bradford. I think that he had, he, as you said, Mike. I think he showed that in the right system, he can not only be a viable quarterback, but I think he can be a pretty a, good a, one. A very like he can be a quarterback who who is a is a major factor in you winning. Uh, but it has to be the right system. You know, I I don't. You know, the thing that guys like Brady. He, I'm not sure he has. You know, the Roethlisberger Brady. You know. I can make anything what, work. Right. Kind of yeah. Like he needs to have, you know, a, some semblance of protection um, and he needs to have the right kind of concepts. Like, I, I don't know if you put him in a system where, uh, yeah, I think Chip put it this way. I think Chip Kelly's system worked for him. 
Um, yeah, I think Chip did just did in the terms thing, of yeah. the in terms he did of, the stuff that that played the Bradford strengths. Right, uh, and and I think like you know just some. E- I'm not saying Bradford cannot do the other thing, but the fact is he struggled behind a bad offensive line in St. Louis, but he also didn't have the most progressive offensive coordinators. Exactly. Um, and I think that there's like a lot of subtle things in, in terms of route concepts, in terms of uh, you know numbers, you know just route combinations. Um, you know, and progressions, I think are a big thing too. Chip Kelly talked a lot about progressions. I think the Eagles like made their progressions very easy. Like, like it's, mm-hmm. the, I think it was a very intuitive offense for, for just about every player involved in it. Um, again, there were some mortal flaws that, that Kelly refused to change about it. But, but in terms of concept, I think it was a very player friendly concept. And if you think about its roots, it had to be because he wasn't a, he wasn't getting rocket scientists. He was getting a lot of guys that didn't qualify at right. better academic schools in Oregon. And he was getting guys that would go to Oregon, you know, right. so they weren't necessarily, you know, if they were smart, they weren't the most talented players in the world. Right. Um, and he had to, he had to build to his strengths. And that's why I always thought that he would adapt this offense as he went. And I don't know that he did that, but I also don't know that he had enough time. Uh, that being said, I think that Sam Bradford, um, it might even be a moot point because I'm not sure because any head coach that comes in here is going to look around at the other. Op- I mean, here's the thing about Bradford. You can't talk about him without talking about the other options. Like right. you can't say like, oh, he's not good enough. You know, you can't commit that much money to Sam Bradford. Okay. Well, then who's your quarterback? Exactly. You know, and, and, and again, who is your quarterback? Like, John, who, who's your quarterback if Sam Bradford is not here? Exactly. Mike, who's your quarterback if Sam Bradford's not here? Mark Sanchez? I mean, th- your only options are... I, I think they, you do what you have to do right. to bring Bradford back. So I, and I think that any NFL coach, I think, is going to see that. I'm not sure he's going sure to say, no, I don't, want, I don't like Sam Bradford. Um, I'll figure the quarterback thing out once you sign him. I think an NFL coach would want to have Bradford of his own volition, but I still think that making it a quasi-requirement of him taking the job is not the no, best way to well, go. I guess what I'm, that's what I meant by moot point. I don't think it has to be a spoken... I, I think no, I this agree. is probably one of the first things they talked about in the interview, and it's like, yeah, you know, Sam Bradford's the best option out there. I mean, it's either... if they Put it this way, if they don't sign Sam Bradford, their only option is to trade for somebody else who has even more question marks than Sam Bradford, draft somebody, again, way more question marks than Sam Bradford, and, and your odds are definitely not on your side. You know, if, if you want to talk about not a short thing, I mean... right. That's not your way to go. And, and the other one is go for like a Brian Hoyer or a Ryan Fitzpatrick or a Mark Sanchez because that's that's those are your only options. You do not get to invent this court. This is not Madden. You can't create your own player. <laughs> you know, and the other part well, we've of that, just disappointed all of our exactly. But the other, and the other part of that too is you have an owner who's already articulated a vision of a team that you know is ready to be more competitive than it was in 2015. This is not a situation where. I would think, ostensibly, if you bring in a, can- a head coaching candidate, if Adam Gase comes in and says, I want to pick my own quarterback and I want to draft somebody, I would think, based on what he has said publicly, Jeffrey Lurie will say, well, wait a minute, we're ready to win right now. The problem was not Sam right. Bradford. The problem was not the offense or the defense. The problem was Chip Kelly. You're going to make these guys wait for a year, two years, three years while and, you groom your quarterback? this is why I would probably never be a uh, coach in the National Football League, nor do I want to be, but just in case. The way you phrase that, I might look at Jeffrey Lurie and if I were a candidate, say to myself, that guy's wrong. I don't actually want that job because of it. Oh, I, I disagree. I, I mean, there might be some guys who would do that, but you're not going to get... Look, there are only 32 of these jobs, and people want Oh, but if you, are, if you are somebody, as Gase seems to be, who is being pursued by multiple teams, or Sean Payton, for example, uh, you might look at Jeff Lurie and say, look, look, hey, look, wait look, a minute. Look, I really think we're conflating two different issues. Cause that wouldn't surprise me. The, and this is the whole, unless you have the first or second pick on the draft, you have no idea right. if you're, who you're going to be able to draft. Even right. if you do like a quarterback, you have no idea if he's going to be there. Um, so, so look, the draft is too. I mean, the the the, the Bengals okay. signed Andy Dalton to a contract and then drafted AJ McCarron in the whatever round. I mean, yeah. it's if you do end up having getting a quarterback, if you do end up, you know, you make your coach, you commit to your quarterback, and then the draft comes. And if you happen, if when you're sitting there at, at you know in the first, second, third round, and a quarterback's there that who you think could be a guy in the future, that you take him. You always no, take him. Yeah, no, I. Agree. But you don't. Yes. You don't. You don't. T- just you never go into a draft saying we have to. Get we have to get the best quarterback on our board because yeah. he's going to be our right. starter. It, no, next it's year. it's to Mike's point about Jeffrey Lurie saying to the coaching candidates that he invites to his office, "We're ready to compete right now," and a coaching candidate that he might want, who is being pursued by multiple teams, 
might have some leeway to in his own mind, maybe not directly to Lurie, but at least say to himself, I think this guy's actually wrong. They're not ready to compete right I, away. I, don't I might I think, take a different I, I don't, I think And that might burn Lurie. I think it's a false – I think it's a false – I don't know what, if this is the right way to use it, but I think it's a false equivalency or, or a straw man or something because in the NFL – there's no rebuilding. You're always one year away from competition. Mm-hmm. And, and any coach that says you're not ready to compete should not be in there interviewing for a job. I mean, that's just how it works. I mean, you see the Kansas City. I mean, the Eagles went 4-12. and 12. Next year, they went 10-6. and six. Kansas City went whatever. Next year, went 10-6. and six. Um, You know, it's just, it, it's, I mean, Seattle, it took Seattle, what, one year under Pete Carroll? I mean, look at, look at, just go, go tick by talk. I mean, talk by tick, whatever. Um I mean, these these coaches like it changes. Like, things change quickly. You only NFL have a four four yeah. year window because that's when your draft picks are signed for. You know, things change quickly because of you know insta decisions. You know, Seattle takes Russell Wilson, they skyrocket. You know, perfect system, perfect quarterback for their system is ready to play as a rookie, even though he's a third round pick. Boom, they become a Super Bowl team. Cleveland takes Johnny Manziel because the owner wants him, and they're stuck where they're stuck. I think the mo- most. Of, the I think the most. Words. I think yeah. the most important thing. Uh, for the, these guys to talk about in their interview, I'm sure they are, is to go, what we're about to do, go position by position and say, this is what I see out of this guy. This is how he fits my system. And if, and, or we need to address this. For example, offensive line. That is the one, I think that is the one position, the one area that absolutely, objectively, no matter what system you're running, needs to be addressed. Yes. At some point over this offseason. They will not, yes. there will be a ceiling on their, on their, you know, if they end the, if they end the it's season, it's the most with, important unit on any team, yeah. right? But but theirs is not a good one. Oh, right. Um, yeah. Well, that's the. And anyway, get, you know, those guards. Everyone wanted to know why Demarco Murray, you know, fell off the way he did. And besides the fact that Demarco Murray just has always been this kind of runner and needs to get to the second level before he starts, you know, breaking tackles. He couldn't even get to the second level because the interior, the pl- the place where he likes to run, the interior of the offensive line could not block. They right. just couldn't do it. Alan Barbie is not good. I don't I, I I mean, I'm sure he's a nice fellow, but but he's just not good at playing guard. Not good <laughs> enough not good enough to be, play guard in the NFL. All right, so you're looking at I think and I imagine you agree. No matter which tackle you have Lane Johnson line up at, you're looking at at least three new offensive linemen and you're going to have to add depth there as well. I yeah. mean, you you've basically got to bring in at least four or five offensive linemen three of whom are probably going to have to start, depending on what happens with Jason. Yeah, Peter. so Lane Johnson and Jason Kelsey are your only <laughs> definites. Right. Um, I, th- I still think Jason Peters could come back at the right price, but I'm not sure that that price is... You know, he's got to show that he's healthy because they can't, they can't have $7 million tied up in a guy that's going to be... Right. A, I mean, he, he, it's not just the games he missed. He just wasn't effective in the games that he did play. Right. Um, you know, it's kind of an Evan Mathis conundrum because I think I think the Eagles looked at Evan Mathis last year and thought, man, this guy's just not that good. Like he's not, he doesn't even deserve five million dollars, and he wants more than that. We're just kind of cut him. But what they didn't realize is like is the thing is the kind of Peters conundrum that, that the team could face this year is that there's nobody you, out there better. There's nobody out there better. Or, or the, if there or, is, yeah. we're not going to bring them in. And you yeah. still need you still need the depth. So I'm not sure what you know. I'm not sure what the free agent market looks like, but I think a tackle would be your number one. Um, you know, because I think you can get a tackle for for equivalent of what you're going to save on peters if you cut him yeah Uh, and then guard you know and then a guard you need to you know you need at least i think it it might be it might be asking a little too much to to sign three three offensive linemen in free agency but you need at least one dependable guard yeah you do you need guys who can play a little bit that was the thing that 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 mystified me about the offseason was that it's not difficult to find competent interior linemen. Guards are out there. You don't even have to draft them. Yeah. And they couldn't find any and that's to replace all lo- Barber or, or they're all, all they're looking for is is competency. Like these guys just weren't like these guys were a liability every time they played. And that's why Jason Kelsey looked so bad because he had to, you know, he had to do things that he was never being asked to right. do before. Right. You know? Um so yeah, so so that right there that's that's gonna be the key to next season. This this Eagles team can compete. I mean that every every NFL team is only a year away from competing. Uh, um, if they have a quarterback who who's not a liability, and the Eagles, if they have Sam Bradford, have a quarterback who's not a liability, but they need that's what they need. Wide receiver, I think they need at least one more guy, if not two. And you're going to have to do it. You're probably going to have to do it via free agency. You, you would have to because tr- you because yeah. you you're, you're basically counting Nelson Aguilar as a draft pick in a right. way because he was so unproductive as a rookie. Yeah. So you're talking about Matthews, Aguilar. I guess Josh Huff. You need someone to slot in between those guys. Yes. Like you need a you need a dependable. Like you need a. Um, and the thing is, like, this is the this was the baffling thing about Chip Kelly, 
you know, we, we might not, they, these all, these all could be easy. Upgrades are going to be easy for this team. Put it that way. I mean, Miles Austin did not belong on a football field, no. you know? Uh, I mean, we're just talking about guys like Eddie Royal. I mean, yeah, I, just like, yeah. no, don't get me wrong. A Vincent Jackson would be nice. You know, a Megatron would be nice. But but, you know, they could upgrade just with competent guys yeah. who can who can. I mean, the kind of guy who catches between 40 and 60 passes right. every year for seven years. You know? um, yeah, exactly. The kind of guy they, they were probably hoping Miles Austin awesome. would be. But so then Aguilar, I would say, would be your, you know, then he's number three. And then. After that, you start filling, uh, you know, you start filling inventory um, yeah. and, dra- and drafting guys. The problem is you can't draft guys with the expectation that they're going to play the, right. the next year. Right. And I don't know when that. It was always conventional wisdom, but I don't know. I don't know if it changed just because of the wide receiver class last year, because of the success of guys like Kelvin Benjamin, AJ Green in the past as the, when they're young. But you can't, especially wide receivers, you can't. Antonio Brown caught. 16 passes for 187 yards is is, is rookie year. You just can't do it, and you no. can't do it on the offensive line either. No. And I wonder the here, here's the one caveat I'd have to that. When he expressed his opinions and you know and the way he approached the draft, Kelly, you mean Kelly? Right. He was very adamant about the idea that look, you can't you, just what you said, Murph. You can't expect these guys. Basically, they're newly hired employees. You wouldn't, if you were running, you know, Nabisco, you wouldn't hire the intern and then put him in charge of Nabisco. You have to expect a couple of years of growth, and then. He was. It seemed to be he was put in the position of having a having to expect that growth immediately from a guy like Aguilar because you didn't resign Jeremy Macklin, and B he gets fired after one year of expressing this view. Right. So uh, you know this gets back to the mess that the Eagles really are in. Yeah, I mean that was always my one thing with with for for all the for all Chip Kelly's problems. Uh, the fact is, you were already pot committed, and you might as well stick around to see if. He right. actually did have a plan. Because exactly. It, like, let's say he did have a plan. You know, let's say he, uh, yeah, whatever. But let, let's, so uh, the thing is, I think Andrew Gardner's injury actually hurt them. Um, you know, he, he wasn't great. But I think he, he he actually showed signs of being a competent player. Yeah. He, he wasn't a clearing liability like Alan Barber, Matt Tobin, and Dennis Kelly. But frankly, again, you only have two offensive, so, so. You have two and a half offensive right. linemen, basically. And, and so everyone says, well, you have to draft an offensive lineman this year. That's not how it works. Like you can't do it. That's how you end up getting. Again, that's that's what bad teams do. That's what that's how you end up drafting Darius Hayward Bay. That's how you end up trading up for uh, right Sammy Watkins. That's that, how you draft Marcus Smith. Yeah, we need have, a pass rusher. Therefore, we take and the Jaquan, one that's on the board. And Jaquan Jarrett. You just yeah. that's how every team that's in this vortex of suck gets there. And it it's it's they need a guy. And I think that's the thing that concerns me most about Gase because he's a guy who's going to come in here feeling like he needs to prove himself and win right away. And and I'm not sure that that's you know and how and he's got a guy in charge of the personnel department Howie Roseman who feels like he's got to show immediate results and he's just showed that he'll pull the trigger after you know eight months you know it's it's right. just they're in a very 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 dangerous spot right now. So as the headline of this show, a is Howie Roseman the problem or b Eagles near vortex of suck? I mean it's it I think there's not even a, a question about the first one. Yes, Howie Roseman is. Is uh is the problem? Um, I'm right. I'm ahead. But it's not. Writer, it's so. not just how. And again, like, our, this is the whole black and white thing that we get into. Like, it's not just Howie Roseman being the problem. It's that they haven't found anybody better than Howie Roseman. You know, like they need to have a replacement. Like, if they put you in charge, clearly that wouldn't do any better. You know, um, I mean, they need. I to, hope like, it wouldn't do any. Better. They need to be able to identify a guy who will come in and, and create a personnel department and organization from the ground up, and they should be doing it before hiring a head coach. But let's go to the defense. I think they need one of the biggest needs on this team. I think is a a a massive. 325 pound defensive tackle who's capable of keeping uh, uh, interior offensive linemen off of their smallish linebackers who they really don't have a choice but to come back with. I felt like watching their defense, and this has nothing to do with the number of plays they were on the field for or you know how long they were out there or anything like that. It seemed like, and I'm not suggesting that football teams don't give everything they have on every single play. But it seemed like, based on their defense, they needed to have everything go right, mm-hmm. and everybody, with the exception of Fletcher Cox, maybe in a few plays here and there, everything go right from an effort positional standpoint to make a good play on defense. Yeah. Like there was never a sense of like casualness about, like you watch Richard Sherman play cornerback, and there are plays where he's just like, mm-hmm. he just knocks the ball down from the receiver, like. Like, get that away from me. Like, you can't throw on me. There's never that feeling with, with this defense over the last three years. And I think, I, to your point, I think a run-stuffing nose tackle 
would go a long way in that regard. It would help everybody else in the defense. And you're not asking an undersized Benny Logan to be great in that regard every single play. Yeah, it was. I mean, if you look at it's the baffling thing about that. This from the moment they signed. It's just funny how 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 uh, how everything you see three years ago ends up turning out to be reality. Even though you like spend three years trying to convince yourself that they can't be this dumb. Um, I mean, the first the, one of their first personnel acquisitions after hiring Billy Davis was a guy named Isaac Supawaga or something yep. like that, who was like just not like they were. To me, if you're going to run a three-four, you, your nose tackle is your most important position. You need a nose tackle. Um, I mean, if you look at you know. Not even a three-four, but like especially a three-four. I mean, you look at the. Uh, I mean, the pants. That's why I thought, frankly, I thought they, uh, I, I thought they should have. Dra- I wanted them to draft Star Star Lutulele, uh when they drafted Lane Johnson, but what, whatever. I mean, I can't complain about Lane Johnson. Um, but but if you look at the Panthers, that's one of the big reasons why they're 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 playing yeah. very well. I mean, Luke Kuechly is not a huge guy. He does not have Ray Lewis size, and he's a great player. But having Star Lutulele in front of him, swallowing up. I mean, if you watch, just watch. Go back and watch. Um, you know, go back and watch that front seven, even against the Giants. Like, it's just like, there's no, it's just a downhill charge from yep. the offensive lineman. There's yeah. nobody swallowing up any, all you need is resistance. Watch the Vikings play. They get great play out of their defensive tackles. Um, yep. You know, Kiko Alonso is a perfect example. I don't think Kiko Alonso played very well this year. I think he all, I think he was playing on a knee that severely limited him. And I think that he had an, he, he didn't necessarily have an off season where he could condition himself like he needed to. Um, you know, I'm not predicting big things from him, but I think that we should give him one more year. But I also think that one of the big reasons why he was able to uh, play so well in Buffalo was that he had guys, a guy named Marcel Darius in front of him, who's one of the best defense tackles in the game. And I believe it was Kyle Williams. Uh, yeah. But whoever it was, he was 350 pounds because um, I looked it up two days ago. And he, Kiko Alonso needs space to be able to make plays. He cannot make plays in traffic. He, he's just not that linebacker. And very few linebackers are. Um, you know, and, and Michael Kendricks, you're going to have to find a way to, you know, he's to me is like the most puzzling guy on the defense because uh, he's just not good. Um, and there's like, there's, 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 there's not, it doesn't seem so puzzling. <laughs> no, but like he, like again, this year, like I, I thought that when they signed him to a contract extension, the one, the one role I could see him playing well at is in that rush linebacker, yeah. which they, th- that was the other weird thing about Billy Davis's teams. They didn't even really have one of those. No. Like they had two two big run-stopping edge-setting outside linebackers, but they had nobody who could actually get to the quarterback on a consistent basis. Um, you know, so, yeah. I mean, so that's why, to me, defensive scheme... Like, I think they do have parts. I mean, I think Benny Logan's talented. I think Fletcher, Fletcher Cox, Cox is talented. I think in the, the line, you at least have tools in the linebacking core. And frankly, the secondary... You know, I think Malcolm Jenkins is a very, very good player. I think that Byron Maxwell in the right scheme can be an average cornerback. You know, I think that Eric Rowe can be an average quarterback in the right scheme. I think that... Noel, yeah, I mean, Nolan Carroll's not back yet, but... Um, but frankly, you need to find a guy, and I think that's why I like McDermott and Patricia because that New England finds a way to make, run a new defense every year. With I mean, they trade they they go out and get Brandon Browner and uh, Akib Tali or uh, Darrell Revis, and, yep. and then they they get rid of both of them, and then they come back with like nobody like Bradley Fletcher well, and Kerry right, Williams, go, and they, go they're back, still running. You know? Yeah, but go back to what was the fulcrum of their defense for ten years? Will Fork. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, I mean they, they have the three hundred fifty pound guy in the middle, of the and they line have yeah they have they have, a, they have a great front seven. Dante Hightower, Gerard Mayo, they, they they know how to create a front seven, but they also know how to scheme. And and I think Panthers wise is why Panthers wise, I was I was more impressed with McDermott not because he's a Philly guy, not because I like him, not because he like gives me quotes or anything. It's because he took a Carolina Panthers defense that I just didn't think had all that much talent. You know, I mean, they have Kirk Coleman in the secondary. They have Peanut Coleman or uh, Peanut Tillman in the secondary. Uh, Josh Norman's very good. And, and, and I think if you look at a lot of defenses, if you have that one shutdown corner that you don't ever have to provide help to, it's like playing with an extra guy. That it being is. said, they don't have great, they don't have Greg, I mean, they lost Greg Hardy. You know, I mean, they, they start. Yeah, well, yeah. That was really good a slap. Rates. That was a slap in their face to the defense. Yeah. Oh, so start, so start Lutalele. Um, they have two great linebackers, but like he's he's found a way. I mean, those guys have been there. We're there, you know. The guys have been there for a while. Yeah. Um, but again, this gets back to our original question. He's also working under a guy who was a defensive coordinator and a pretty good one. So, how much do you take? How much do you attribute that to Sean McDermott? How much do you attribute it to Rivera? And that's that's the risk you're taking. But I think I guess all things being equal, which I just assume they are. You know, it's kind of a a 50-50 shot either way. Whether a guy's just an absolute like what it comes down to is a guy. If you take him out of his lane, like can he expand his skill set? Or is he like, 
ah yeah you know yeah. like I, I i just want to call plays um <laughs> You know, you're going to run. You're, you're going to run into that regardless of who you hire, because you just don't know until someone gets into that situation. That's true. Um, I would, I guess, my whole kind of practicality argument is, if you've already got a guy um, who's willing to return as offensive coordinator, uh, which I think Pat Shermer would be willing to return as so offensive too. coordinator, um, and he has shown, albeit in one game, but still, it's one game. I mean, at the very least, he showed himself to be a replicator. Like he, he can like right. monkey see, monkey do it. You know, um, and I'm you know, again in 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 the interest of self preservation, I'm not sure why he would elect to do anything other than what no, he, what he did against the Giants. And it would go a long way if you think that you know what we saw from the second half exactly. of the season is is the same Bradford he's going to be so, for 16 games. That that helps. So, so I guess what I'm saying is why why would you if you don't know. If you have a question about if everyone's going to bring a question mark as to how whether they have all that all that magic juju that that they want the Tomlin you know the Tomlin mm-hmm. organizational stuff if every guy is a question mark why not bring a guy who at least has shown himself to be able to why not take the chance on a guy who at least has shown himself to be able to create a defense out of some you know to mold a defense to like some imperfect parts I mean McDermott at least has has, has run two different defensive schemes with two different personnel groups and frankly like gotten decent results out of both one of them I know I mean. Look at look at McDermott's season in hindsight at the seasons in hindsight at the helm. I mean, it's it's you know he wasn't awful, um, and, and right. he's learned and he's been around the block. And instead, you're going to go out and and you know if 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 Gase really is coming back for a second interview and it, it ends up coming through, you're going to end up bringing in a guy who has a replicative skill set um, as the guy who's already here. And and I'm not sure that he's shown himself to be better than the guy who's That's here right. in that skill set. I mean, I'm sure he's a great guy. Your question is, and we're hitting up against an hour already and right. we're going to keep the listeners here until the next dozen coaches come through if we're not careful. Your question is they're gonna, they probably why, hired someone All why the Eagles relevant. don't hire the defensive guy. I don't know. I think is, is that the question that you were asking? Yeah, okay, I, 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 mean, I think just... I think the wild the variable fact the other variable factor in this is the ego of the of the owner who's the management right. guru who reads from the textbooks and wants the forward thinking savant next guy. No, see, I see that. See, I disagree now. Like, I think it's the opposite. Like, I think that the danger is, and this is why it just absolutely made no sense to keep Howie Roseman around. Now the danger is the, the Ro, Howie Roseman for whatever, you know, whatever other skill sets he has, he is clearly a guy who knows how to get his way right. um, through not so obvious means um and the fear is uh my fear would be that he is going to end up steering them towards a candidate who whose main qualification is that he does not threaten howie roseman um that he is that he is a guy who is comfortable taking orders from howie roseman who does not look down on howie roseman for not having a football background who does not who is not a forward thinker who will push you know push the envelope um you know I, I i think what they want is an organizational guy who will respect chain of command and and i don't think that's any way to pick a good leader there are there is more than one of these management guru ways and books and so on and so forth of ways to do things and my fear is that jeffrey lurie has picked the wrong one and he just doesn't see it well, I think he's picked the. I think honestly, I think all this comes down to is Jeffrey Lurie really, really likes Howie Roseman. They're buddies. Um, Why? Because they're buddies. I mean, they just get both, along. I mean, they, they connect. They, yeah, they're, they're you know, that's you know, the wrong way to run both, a football team. They're yeah, both. But, they're both outsiders. I mean, it happens. Like they're. I mean, they, they've they've been with each other for for a decade, and and yeah. you know, like this. Sort of Neither of them is the typical football right. guy. You know, he's. It's not like Jeffrey Lurie's. You know. Dan Rooney, you grew yeah. up immersed in Steelers culture. He's it's like we all have that person you know. where like we talk to one person differently than we talk to other people. Yeah. Like that, I, I get but, the sense that's it, how, that's it, Jeffrey Lurie's guy, and and Jeffrey Lurie's is now like, well, you know, it's time to let the little birdie fly. Even though he already did that and ignored the results, trying now to it, prove the world wrong doesn't always work. It's not about trying to prove the world wrong. It's this about is what completely you're about with. emotional attachment. It's about what you're comfortable with. Yeah. If you know, if um, I don't know, if if Rich Hoffman you know, wanted to go start a new Philadelphia newspaper yeah. or sports website, he might bring Murph with him. It doesn't make it... I think that's a great, it, ex- great... I think it's like, yeah. Like you know... Like, like Rich, like... Well, I, I, would I never, wasn't going to get into the fact that some of these management principles have been read by newspaper across the country. <laughs> no, but my point but is... We all have that person. We're yeah, like, we all have oh, that. Oh, like, sure. No, absolutely. Know. But the, the... The point is not whether Murph is good at 
his job, you know, and he is, but the point is not whether Murph is good at right. his job or not. It's that Rich and Murph feel the, feel the connection, you know. And chances are neither one of us is objective about the other person. Right. And it, so it, they, it, they go off and they start, you know, um, coolerphillyvoice.com and they do their thing together. And it doesn't matter and in I a run way. it into the ground. <laughs> right. I, it doesn't my, matter in a way whether it's good my, or not. My, my hope, and I guess this is my ultimate point, is that. And I don't think this is going to happen, which I think is ultimately a flaw in Jeffrey Lurie. At some point, would he take a step back and ask whether his philosophy is actually working? I don't think he has a philosophy. He doesn't have a philosophy. He's in a position... Where, I, that and, I find interesting. He, he's in a position where he doesn't have to have a philosophy. He's, he's in got a, money. He's got he's money at the yin-yang. He was yang. born he's, a billionaire. And, like he's got, and he's got a property that is appreciating in value with each passing second. Yeah, and it doesn't matter what... The, the, and the, the, that is the criticism that I've heard throughout his tenure, right. which is that he cares more about appreciating... But it doesn't matter. The he's the owner. Thing. It he's, doesn't... Yeah. Yeah, like, like it's, it does no good to even focus on him. You know, you just have to hope that he locks into the right person underneath him. Like Joe Banner... Joe Banner and Andy Reid were a very good... In addition to Donovan McNabb, Joe Banner and Andy Reid were a very yes. good yin and yang. Um, you know, and, and Joe Banner allowed Andy Reid... It, it helped Andy Reid win the locker room because you could kind of throw some stuff on Joe Banner that, that Chip Kelly couldn't really throw on, right. on whatever. Uh, and, and Joe Banner was was very a very for for, for he was all forward his, thinking for in terms his, of how to manage yeah, a salary for, cap and all that for all his idiosyncrasies interpersonal wise um, or at least public public speaking wise he he was he had a vision uh, he was not scared to implement that vision uh, and he and he did a pretty good job of sustaining you know of rolling players out when they needed to be rolled out of understanding the life cycle of an NFL team of that. Yeah. right. Lurie just doesn't have that, and I don't. I think we're looking. We're like putting. We're, we're giving him way too much credit. I mean, again, like this guy's never built a business. I'm certainly not trying to credit him. I'm just trying to say a little bit of what you wrote the day after Chip Kelly no, but was dismissed, you, which is that actually, in the end, this really is on Lurie. It, it is on. It, it is, is on, on Lurie. Lurie but, but I guess what I'm saying, we're, we're giving him way too much credit to say he actually has a philosophy. If you actually listen to the words that he said, there was no anything to it. There's no substance to it. It was just like, yeah. I want to open your heart. Like anyone who says, any leader who says open, he, one of his qualifications is he wants a guy who opens his heart. It's just like a guy who's never been in the real world before. Right. And so that's can Jeffrey he step, Can he step back and, and assess whether or not he himself is? No, because he's, no, he he's, doesn't he doesn't have to. He doesn't, yeah, he doesn't live in the real world. He, he doesn't, that's a he doesn't have to do that. Yeah, I mean, it's a very big problem. And it's a problem that can be uh, manipulated by people, certain people who... who no, no business, look, no business. A newspaper, you know, a, a grocery store... Nobody opens, you don't open your heart to your employees. You say, <laughs> this is what you have to do to succeed in this industry at this company. And that's not what he's doing. No. No. But, so, what it, but I mean, like, but he doesn't have to. Yeah. Because the value of his company is increasing whether he does that or not. Yeah. Like, there's no, the, 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 the thing that, that, the reason why Jeffrey Lurie does not have to live in the real world is because the only reason any of us, the only reason there is a quote unquote real world for any of us is the fact that risk exists. And, our lives are all about, you know, our lives are catered to risk. You know, I have a risk of being fired if I show up wearing a red sweatshirt and sweatpants to the no, office. No, you don't, but that's okay. Uh, but Jeffrey Lurie has no risk for any of his moves because his franchise is always, there is a certain revenue stream that is always going to come in. There's a certain fan base that is always going to show up. And and, and the lead the, more than anything, you know, expenses are limited by the salary cap. Um, you know, it's a very predictable, there's no way expenses can spiral out of control in the NFL. And frankly, like, this the system is set up so that you cannot be bad for long. You have to try. You have to try to be bad, right? Uh, for long. That's why the windows are only. You know, it's three or four years. You know, if you're not worst comes to worst, you're bad for three years, and then you're back in the. You I, know? I know of at least. I know of two other teams in the Eagles division that have not necessarily tried to be bad for a long time, but they sure have been. Well, I mean the Reds. Yeah, I mean the Washington Reds. and Dallas. No, Dallas, I mean, you can't throw it. Dallas is not trying to be bad. Dallas has a... As I'm saying, they are not trying to be bad, but they, but they have been bad. Dallas isn't trying to be good. Dallas is trying to be relevant. Dallas has not been bad. The Dolphins have been bad. The Redskins have been bad. The Raiders have been bad. Dallas is just trying to be relevant. Have been bad. Dallas is trying to be the water cooler conversation. That's oh. it. How, That's many, it. how many times has Dallas picked in the top five? I can't remember. I don't. Uh, I can't remember. I can't, remember I can't either. Right. Exactly. They're like they're. What I'm saying is, as in the NFL, you have to try to not be playoff a playoff contender by your you know 
for for the majority of your home games, which is where your gate revenue comes. And then you everyone splits the, the national TV money equally. It's a socialist system, you know, um, which I'm sure Mike is Mike loves. <laughs> <laughs> Mike's our resident socialist. He's wearing his uh, I, Bernie. I, I have to my imagine, Bernie Sanders. I have to imagine that, that he's wearing our his, listeners are in a pretty his, foul state at this point. Probably. Probably. Well, look, we will try to next week. We will try to brighten their mood. Um, when we talk a little bit more about the Sixers, because Jonathan's got some, <laughs> Jonathan's got some some insight he wants to provide on the Sixers. Jonathan's going to go up punch, to punch five, a hole in a wall because five he hasn't or six wins the by rant. Um, but uh, we'll tackle all that next week. Maybe by then the Eagles will actually have a head coach. We'll, Jonathan will slide tackle it because he's okay. a soccer guy. <laughs> oh boy, um, I, I've. Uh... The listeners out there, if they want to know what I've been up to the last couple of well, days, they don't. They, can go, go, they don't because yeah. I've been. They're, they're not they're interested really, in us as people. Yeah, well, we're just that's true. Us. All right, go so log on to wgaf.com if you've been interested in John, what Jonathan's been <laughs> no. up to. Just we'll, follow uh, me on Twitter. Follow John on Twitter. Follow Murph on Twitter. <laughs> don't follow me on Twitter. I make a lot of bad jokes. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you. We'll next be. Later. Hey, we'll try to do this right after they hire a coach.